Hello and welcome to the Sweet Podcast with me, Mitchell Willis, and him, Michael Hall. Good evening. How are you? I'm alright, thank you, yeah. Um, I think that the podcast is probably going to take a slightly different start, middle and end this yes. week. Um, and we'll get onto that in a second. But there's, uh, there's a huge amount to talk about and I think it's only right that we start with the um, absolute tragedy which occurred at the King Power Stadium on Saturday night after Leicester's game against West Ham. And obviously the helicopter crash which claimed the lives of the five people on board is a truly horrendous incident and one which has left the whole footballing community in shock. It's difficult to put into words how anyone is really feeling at the moment and all of our thoughts are with everyone connected with Leicester City Football Club, particularly the family and friends of those who lost their lives. The Leicester City owner Vijay Sivertuna Prapar, who was confirmed as one of the casualties of the crash, has done so much for an English football club, both on and off the pitch, and probably as much as anyone in recent history, and he will be rightly remembered for all of the right reasons. The circumstances surrounding the tragedy are relatively unique, but as a Southampton fan, I can in some way relate to the way that Leicester City fans are feeling at the moment. We lost our owner suddenly in 2010, right at the start of our journey back to the Premier League from League One, and initially the majority of the fans felt numb despite the fact that very few of us knew Marcus Lieber. The fact that he'd saved our club from the brink and started to turn things around meant everything and the hardest part was him not being around for the success that was to follow. Leicester as a football club and as a city have been united ever since Vijay Sivatuna Prapar took over the club eight years ago and the success that they have enjoyed together will ultimately help them get through the darkest times. To deliver initial stability, follow that up with promotion to the Premier League, then survive against all odds before winning the Premier League title and reaching the Champions League quarterfinals all within eight years is unlikely to ever be matched in the future. The work that has been done on and off the pitch wasn't necessarily talked about outside of Leicester, but the football world is beginning to learn more about the man who relished in helping others. The club will come together and the fans will be brought closer by this and as difficult as they will find it in the short term, it is now up to the wider football community to unite in helping Leicester City Football Club. Absolutely well put Mike and uh, yeah, I think as Mike said early on, it's going to be a slightly different tone this week naturally, um, but th- there was a lot of football uh, was. and I, th- I think we have to get stuck into it and you know, we'll, we'll start as we mean to go on and, and we'll start at Liverpool who... Beat Cardiff 4-1. Uh, Liverpool's front three looking to be getting into the swing of things following their comfortable win against Red Star in the Champions League where they all scored. And uh, it was Salah and Mane who both bagged in this one. And, and that's crucial for Liverpool, isn't it? We've spoken in recent weeks about how important it is for them to be uh, so solid at, at the back as they have been this season. But equally, we've spoke about a little bit of a disappointment with the particularly those front three and, and the attacking prowess that they promise and, and have kind of failed to deliver and that changed the, over the last week or so really. Yeah that's right I think you you look at the way that they approached the game midweek and um, it took them a little while to really get started in that game and it was it was similar for parts of this game obviously the first goal came after 10 minutes and it was a good finish from Salah he started to find form in recent weeks which would be really pleasing because it did look like there was a, a hangover from the World Cup if you like and, and it was a worry for Liverpool fans but then Cardiff really dug in and they followed the plan that Neil Warner could put in place for them and I think it was about 55 minutes between the first and the second goal and you would have expected Liverpool to score quite a few more in that time especially with the players that they've got at their disposal and it was quite interesting to see that Jurgen Klopp made decisions to change quite a few players in this in this game yeah. he obviously gave Fabinho his um, Premier League debut and I think that Lovren came back in Moreno starting instead of Robertson and he's starting to tinker a little bit which is probably 
understandable given the amount of football that they've had to play in such a short space of time the fact they've got so many internationals and they are going to go deep in the uh, in the Champions League so it's it, it's a really interesting time because this was the the time of year last last year when things started to go a little bit wrong for them they, they, they didn't make a brilliant start and, and they kind of had to bring themselves round and get close to the team's around them but they've they've made a, a much better one this season and they have to be applauded for that yeah absolutely you know we've spoken about the the squad depth that they've managed to improve and and you know that showed on Saturday and I think what was was key for me was the quality of the goals I think they were all of a higher standard uh, I think for me Mane's first was the pick of the bunch and Shakira's as well you know he took it very very well and, and he settled into life at Liverpool and I think he's accepted the fact that he's not a guaranteed starter every week as he would have been pretty much anywhere else in the Premier League bar the top kind of five six clubs and I think within that as well he sees the opportunity to be successful he has the opportunity to go and win some silverware and, and I think that's it with Liverpool now they are genuine title contenders but certainly this season and, and you know last season they're in the Champions League final and it does look as though they've got something to play for each season rather than just qualifying for the Champions League and I think that's that's somewhere that Liverpool have really struggled to, to kind of propel themselves forward with over the last few years and I think for Klopp to be able to make those changes as he did do at the weekend and, and still have a, a relatively comfortable win uh, speaks volumes of the, the ability that they've got in the squad not just having numbers but quality as well. That's right and having three players four players who can share goals around will massively help them it just takes the pressure off and we saw it in the season where Liverpool went close when Suarez and Sturridge were scoring the majority of the goals and Although players were chipping in, it wasn't like you had four players who could probably get 15 goals a season. And yep. when you look at it from the outset at the moment, that's probably how you'd feel as a Liverpool fan. So it's really exciting for them. Of course it is. And I think that a lot of players that they've brought in in the summer have, have made a huge impact already. There's there's probably a lot more to come from somebody like Naby Keita. I think that Alisson's been patchy in, in, in his form. I don't think he's had a huge amount to do. No, We hasn't. haven't seen him make any brilliant saves and, and, and equally he's not done anything particularly wrong which has cost them um, so that will please Liverpool fans and, and they need to just continue winning I think they've got 26 points from 10 games and yep. I, I don't think that you could ask for any more from this point I, I think that they will be extremely confident in going into the next lot of games massive game for them next weekend to, to, to have to go away to Arsenal who we all know are in fine form as well I think that will show how far these two clubs have come yeah. from the performances last, last season yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, a quick word on Cardiff that I don't think they really had much hope for this one. Uh, they got themselves back in it. And at 2 1, Liverpool, it, it could have been quite nervy. And um, again, you know, they have that quality where when they're on song, they will just pick you apart. And I think, you know, Cardiff will have seen for a short period of time that they had an opportunity to potentially nick a point. And, uh, you know, you only need something to click your way to get that. But Liverpool obviously could just turn the ball over so quickly. And, and as we said, the front three being in form is a huge bonus to them and, and you know they can realistically win a game out of nothing for them and I think that's where we see the quality against sides like Arsenal when they go away there you know they can be solid at the back but know that they've got that penetration up front yeah they're a, they almost like to counter-attack both home and away don't they yeah. and, and, and that's one thing that will suit them next weekend is that Arsenal like to have the ball and um, they, they often play it on the counter-attack at times so it should be a really really good game I, I think on Cardiff Jurgen Klopp made reference to it in his uh, interview after the game when 
he was asked about Cardiff and he said well actually I think the fact they scored probably helped us because it made yeah. it made them think they could get something out of the game and they probably came out a little bit more the midfield became less flooded Liverpool were able to push the fullbacks forward and it just made for a, a relatively straightforward last five or ten minutes for them when it could have been difficult and one of Liverpool's rivals Chelsea had a 4-0 win away at Burnley and similar to Cardiff really I'm not sure Burnley would have fancied this one given the form that Chelsea are in and Chelsea were, were comfortable throughout really I think as ever at Turf Moor you get plenty of chances and you just have to be clinical and that's what Chelsea probably have been all season really and this was without Hazard in there as well the kind of star of the show over the last few weeks and you know they're sharing the goals around which is huge for them you've got Morata who's finally finding a little bit of form Ross Barkley was fantastic again in this one and then you've got Willian who's always a threat and Loftus-Cheek as well who scored a hat-trick on a rare start in the Europa League last week and he bagged again here is he going to force his way in does he have an opportunity now I think that with the amount of games that Chelsea will play in both the Europa League the Premier League they're still in the League Cup as well yeah um there has to be at some point an injury or there has to be a case for resting your better players and they will want the likes of Hazard and Willian to be able to play in as many Premier League games as possible so it may well be that Barkley and Ruben Loftus-Cheek get more of an opportunity in certain games obviously Barkley's got his opportunity earlier this season grabbed it with both hands has been extremely good in the last few games in particular and if Loftus-Cheek can do the same thing then there will be players in that starting lineup who who will be looking over their shoulder I think Pedro is somebody who played so many games last season. Conte really liked Pedro and he's probably been on the sidelines a bit more than he would have expected this season. But Barkley, like I say, has taken that opportunity and Sarri will be pleased to have so many players in a small, rel- relatively small squad when we when we talk about the yep. Premier League. He will, he will be pleased to have so many players on form because it means that going into these Europa League games, he's going to go in with as strong a squad as he is the Premier League as well. And I think for Loftus-Cheek as well, he would have seen what Barkley's done this season. Got himself back in the England squad. You know, Loftus-Cheek went to the World Cup and that was on loan at Crystal Palace, had injuries throughout the season, you know, didn't play a huge amount of football and still got the opportunity. So you would suspect that he, you know, he will take the opportunities he can take and perhaps he has to have a rethink in January. You know, Chelsea will obviously assess where they are in terms of the competitions they're in. But Loftus-Cheek, at some point, you know, we'll say it over and over again, will look to be playing football on a regular basis. You know, Barkley was instrumental yesterday and he's looked fantastic the last few games. He seems to be the driving force behind that side and there's no reason why Loftus-Cheek potentially couldn't do it for Chelsea, but you would certainly expect him to be doing it for certainly anyone below Chelsea, really. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think we need to talk about Burnley because obviously they've had a relatively up and down season. They, they've conceded quite a few goals in the Mainly last couple down. of games. Yeah, that's right. And... Uh, I think that's nine goals conceded in two games, which will be a, a, a real worry. I know that they've played Manchester City and they've played Chelsea, but you don't expect to concede four goals at home. And I think that they would have worked a lot defensively on the training pitch over the last week, given what happened at Manchester City. And it could have been a lot more in this game because Joe Hart arguably made two, if not three, world-class saves. Which seems to be the same thing every week, though. That's the worrying thing for them. You know, they, as much as they work on it defensively, I, I just don't think... I still can't see the logic in the approach they take to just letting teams come at them. Um, they concede so many different efforts, and you know credit to them for scraping through some of these games as well. But eventually, those kind of three, four, five nils are just going to happen every single week if you do it. You know, to have one shot on target, thirty percent possession at home is a not good enough, and b it just leaves you open to a hiding, which 
eventually you will plummet you down. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Do you think that their confidence is just going to get to the stage where they're not going to be able to get over these sort of performances? Because how many how many games can you go into knowing that there's a good chance of getting an absolute shellacking? I, I can't see how it wouldn't affect you. You know, you've got like you say, we've got someone like Joe Hart who, you know, much maligned over the last few years. He's been fantastic this season, and that's because he's had the opportunity to make the saves. And the defenders that got credit last year had the opportunity to make the blocks and the last-minute tackles. And you know that just won't go for you sometimes. And and it obviously hasn't gone for them this season. And naturally, you will start getting downhearted. And to be honest with you, the question marks then, and we'll get onto it later on as well around some of the other managers and their systems. You have to question Sean Dyche and his system because they've got the you know they've shown last season they've got the players to be able to play this for you know this formation this system the um, the invite of pressure constantly and, and to do well with it but you have to change that if it's not going well and eventually you're going to get caught out they are getting caught out this season you know it's not going to take long before you know the Huddersfields and Cardiffs who are struggling to score goals start scoring hatfuls against these as well. It's a very good point. I think we need to move on to Old Trafford where the Jose Mourinho bandwagon rolled into town and it was another test for them this week, wasn't it? And a 2-1 victory at home to Everton, it could have been different, we know that. But I think that we probably have to give some credit to Manchester United because yep. they were pretty good value for it. Yeah, I thought they were good value for it. And there was obviously a, a huge change in, in dropping Lukaku for this one. And I think that that you know, it cha- naturally changed the system. Uh, you've got someone like uh, Paul Pogba, who was good for large parts of the game. Uh, his penalty was dreadful. Uh, it was a 26-step a run-up, and that that's a fact as well. It's <laughs> you not count even, those. <laughs> yes, um, which is just, you know, it's ridiculous. Um, you kind of hope he misses um, and doesn't get the opportunity to tap in the rebound. And it's a good save from Pickford. Uh, not much I, I think he could do about pushing the ball into Pogba's feet. But aside from the penalty, I thought Pogba was brighter yesterday. I thought he was on the ball a lot more. And I think not having Lukaku there probably created that little bit of extra space for him. It gave them the opportunity to have an extra midfielder in there who sits in behind him. And, you know, he was spraying the ball out wide. He was happy to go out wide to get the ball as well. And uh, to a certain extent, you know, Pogba is in theory one of the most, if not the most, talented member of that squad. So do you have to play to his advantages as opposed to playing to Lukaku's when actually Lukaku's not reaping any rewards from that? It's a difficult one, and I think that when Manchester United look at the outlay on both of those players, it's not too dissimilar. So at one point, you're going to probably have to put both of them in the team because if not, you may as well not have them at the club. I think Mourinho made a brave decision to drop Lukaku. It was something that a lot of people had talked about in the press during the week. And the perfect scenario, as Gary Neville said on commentary for this game, would have been Lukaku coming off the bench yep. and scoring. But even when he came on, he just didn't look good enough. His runs weren't sharp enough. He wasn't getting into space. And I think there was one chance in the second half where Pogba went to play the ball through to him and they were just on the complete opposite wavelength yes. to one another. Yeah, I think that's always been a criticism of Lukaku though. If he's not scoring goals, he doesn't actually offer you a huge amount. He very rarely runs the channels for you. He's not, despite his size, not great at holding the ball up either. So if you're not getting the ball into him in the attacking positions, where he's either on the last defender or he's looking to get something from a, from a cross out wide, then he's not effective. Whereas you've got someone like Marshall and Rashford as well. They will do all the running to get the ball as well and get themselves in the positions rather than expecting the ball to come to them every time. Yeah, and I think that Anthony Marshall deserves a lot of credit. His finishes in the last two or three games have yep. been 
incredibly well taken. He just looks so composed when he when when the ball breaks to him in any sort of position. He scored another very good goal in this one, and um, it it will be interesting to see him through the middle. I think that the difficulty that both him and Rashford are going to have is if Mourinho tries to convert them at this stage in their careers, they've played for the last two or three years as attacking wide men. They haven't played through the middle very often, and therefore it's it, it can be quite difficult because presumably in training when they're playing everything goes through Lukaku. Lukaku is the, the main focus and those two will be training in the positions that they're then going to come and play in come the weekend. So I think that they're obviously both at stages in their career where they can learn new skills. They're young enough to be able to do that. And I think it would be interesting to see those two given a go, maybe not together as a 4-4-2, but if Rashford doesn't work through the middle, I still think he adds a lot out wide, which is kind of the opposite to what you've just yeah. said with Lukaku. And maybe give Martial a chance to, to, to really stake a claim for a place because all that's going to do is push Lukaku on, hopefully, to to reach the heights that he has done in previous seasons. You would like to think so. And, and a quick word on Everton, you know, they struggled to get going for long periods in this. I don't, I don't know whether it's because Manchester United ha- had a good game, which seems to be quite rare at the moment, really. But I think they, they kind of stuttered throughout. They had a few chances, but nothing massively clean cut, clear cut. And I think Bernard, again, was the bright spark. You know, you look at the bench and that's what surprised me yesterday. I looked at the bench and, and mainly to see if Yerry Mina was on there after my shout in pre-season <laughs> that he would be the worst sign-in of the season. And, you know, they do have a lot of strength in depth now that I don't think they've had over the last few years. You look at the likes of Tom Davis, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Adam Ola-Luckman, and then a bit of experience with, you know, someone like Leighton Baines is on there who could easily do a job for most clubs in the Premier League. Yeah, and yeah. You look at Yerry Mina and he, he hasn't been playing. I know he's been injured, but... He has the opportunity to come back in. I wonder whether they may have been sold a dud in the summer. Who knows? I think that we we won't have a clue with him until he actually comes up against a Premier League team, and and he's obviously yet to do that. I actually think Kurt Zuma has been pretty good for Everton yes, this season, he and he looked he looked good again. He looks composed on the ball, and positionally he looks decent. He's quick as well, which for a centre half you can't really underestimate in the Premier League. You really need that. And I thought that um, Andre Gomez came in and did really well for Everton. Somebody who was signed alongside um, Yerry Mina from Barcelona in the summer I think this was his first game and he just yeah. looked really comfortable on the ball he looked a, a, a class above and he looks like they might have unearthed a real gem in, in, in trying to get somebody over from Barcelona so, so similar to Jean Martinez yeah. Wolves you yeah, know, yeah. Tidy, tidy keeps the ball and uh, yeah you know I I missed the lineups at the start yesterday and it took me a few touches of his to think who who is this I have no <laughs> idea who it is and then then it clicked and yeah I, I think you know they they have unearthed a gem because I think if you can get the ball keep keep it ticking over get the ball to the likes of Sigurdsson and get something going and obviously you've got Richarlison there as well who Our mate. Mu- yeah mu- much maligned by certainly myself and I thought yesterday I watched it and I think he had a quite a frustrating game and Having watched a lot of him uh, early in his career, he reminded me of Gabby Bonlahor, which is not really a compliment. But Aston I think Villa's it, all-time record goal scorer. Yes, scorer. indeed. But I think it was more that sometimes he just runs himself into into you know dead ends, and yeah. his decision making's not great. He's got a lot of pace. He has got a, a decent enough finish on him, but I think one of his issues is he's not ever going to get himself in the right position on a kind of constant and consistent basis that and, and he may you know he may turn out to prove me completely wrong and score 30 goals this season but 
I can already see in him that there's some inconsistencies that I think will hold him back. I think the difficulty is with any player, you go to a new club, you have a fantastic start, you almost make a rod for your own back and yep. you, you pile pressure on and people expect that from you on a on a regular basis. So it, it's going to be intriguing to see how Richarlison gets on for more reason than one and, and obviously we'll update people on that next week. But I, I think that Everton will be pleased with their initial sort of 10 games. I, I don't doubt that they'd like to be a little bit higher up and would have liked to have done better in, 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 in certain matches but I don't think they can have any complaints to come away with this one with, with, with nothing to show. No you're absolutely right and moving on to a, another club who I reference systems and, and poor systems um, I think it's probably safe to say that Fulham's system isn't quite working at the moment they lost 3-0 at home to, to Bournemouth and it was the same story as last week really with Fulham were they that bad were the opposition good and I suspect the answer is both you know it's worrying times when you you look to bounce back after a defeat like they had last week at Cardiff and you need something from them and, and arguably I'm not sure it could have got any worse for them. That's right. We talk about consistency a lot and there has been a complete and utter abandonment of any consistency for that Fulham side so far this season. I think that Jukanovic has panicked in, in situations where you probably should have just stuck with, with a back four yep. or at least three of a back four and the lack of consistency is starting to damage his team from from front to back and the way that he set up in this game it was almost like he was being stubborn he was saying do you know what I'm, I'm going to do with what I know works and he basically played a front five and that just left all of the the, the fullback area the wide midfield areas were, were completely exposed because as those players pushed forward the gaps that were left were trying to be plugged by Fulham's two midfielders and it just didn't work and Obviously, Kevin McDonald got sent off in this one, and I don't think that you can apportion any of the blame on him for it because he was let down by his teammates. Yep. He was he was hung out to dry. The first one he had to take one for the team because Bournemouth were on one of their very many breaks, and 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 the second one's just a really poor ball to, ball to him. And unless they do something to protect their back four, back five, they're going to continue to ship goals regardless of the personnel. I'm I'm not sure changing the goalkeeper's probably a, a great move either to be honest you know Bettinelli's come in for a lot of praise this season if anything and you know he's arguably made some mistakes but equally just just like what you've just said if you defence in front of you it's just going to keep giving the ball away and and giving them opportunities to have shots then that's not going to help at all and as you say that further level of inconsistency is just it's going to work against you you know it's not just going to click into place instantly and I think to do it against a side like Bournemouth who like having the ball they like pressing you they like getting on the counter-attack and they generally are relatively clinical as well and as they showed this weekend and I think it's probably just not not the right environment or, or time to do that I think you have to take stock sometimes and you have to play a little bit safer and you know, we, we've spoken over the last couple of weeks about Jukanovic and whether he stays and whether he goes and, and what approach he needs to take. And, you know, the Fulham fans are having the same conversations. I, I made a point of having a look at some of their forums and, and looking at some of the comments. And there are, I think it's probably a 50-50 split on what they think should happen. But there's a lot of them calling for his head. And, you know, that that's the worrying thing for a club that almost pride themselves on a lack of controversy, some consistency and a, a good style at the moment. They haven't really got any of that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because you probably saw Fulham more than I did last season and, and I wonder whether the players that played in the Championship potentially could have made the step up to the Premier League and yep. actually Fulham's downfall was the amount of players that they brought in in the summer. I mean, what what are your thoughts on I, that? I have absolutely no doubt that is the case. You know, they could have brought in a little bit more experience. I think they, they had a... A, a lack of experience last season that would have been a big step up to the Premier League but 
you know, they were one of the best footballing sides that I saw in the championship. So at least build on that, you know, solidify a little bit more. If you if you'd have said they've kept the same team and they've signed Mitrovic on a permanent basis and they've brought in Callum Chambers and Alfie Mawson, I would have said that's a fantastic summer. Um someone like Seri, again, great player and, and someone you should naturally be looking to add, but to change virtually the whole team to be so disjointed and, and yeah, just losing that consistency. That that's it. You know, that that's all I can really focus on the consistency because they they did struggle to start well uh, in the last two seasons and they finished well and generally they finished well because they had a set team, they had a set style of play, and that hasn't been brought into the Premier League. You know, at least start with that. If things are going wrong there, make the changes. Don't start with something different and then try and fix a problem that hasn't even started yet. Yeah, that's a very good point, and I think. We need to talk about Bournemouth because they they've they've won again. It's another impressive away performance, and as much as Fulham probably assisted them in 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 this victory, I think you have to give credit where it's due. And Callum Wilson and David Brooks have been incredibly consistent for Bournemouth all season, and their running in in the team has has led to huge amounts of creative chances, both attacking and also the the work that they do off the ball is just so important for Eddie Howe's yeah. sides and you, you can't really help but praise those players along with somebody like Ryan Fraser they, they they just look really lively from the first minute on Saturday and it's it, it's no surprise that they're all having such good seasons what do you think about Callum Wilson you know he's, he's back to is having a very good season and to be honest when he's fit he does he, he does perform very well in the Premier League you know he had a long time out with an injury and pretty much bounced back straight away and this season he's um He's got off to a to a wonderful start, and does he deserve a shot at international football? It's it's kind of easy to forget that he's still only twenty six as well, and he's actually eligible for Ireland. And you know they should be camped outside of his house, banging on the door every day. If I mean, if you want to compare two players to Callum Wilson, I mean Shane Long, who starts regularly for Ireland, and also Danny Welbeck, who plays a part in the England squad, I think that Callum Wilson would probably be somebody who who would be absolutely deserving of a chance you score goals consistently in a free-flowing attacking team and mm-hmm. the reward is that you don't get an international call-up and I don't really know what that says about either the styles that these international sides are playing or, or the managers who are in charge I think Welbeck arguably is 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 a very good player as and when England need him but he doesn't score goals and that should really be what you picked on when it comes to uh, to international football. So, I believe that Callum Wilson deserves a chance. I think it. I think it would be nice to see Southgate give him one in the next um, set of fixtures, which yeah. are, which are obviously mid-November. If he carries on and gets another couple of goals between now and then, then I think he should be putting all of his eggs in the England basket. And then if that doesn't work out, then you've still got time if if you do want to go and play for Ireland. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there was another game that finished three 0 and that was Watford three Huddersfield nil and. What can Huddersfield do against the quality of the goals we saw early in this game? You know, you could arguably say tackle both Pereira and Delafeu, but <laughs> you know they they've done incredibly well to get through and and get their shots off and two wonderful goals. I think the first goal was more about the Huddersfield defence than it was about the Watford way of sort of dribbling through there and I know the match of the day commentator compared the goal to Ricky Veers for Tottenham <laughs> in the FA Cup final where again he should have been tackled. Yeah, um, the. The Huddersfield defenders, I think there were five of them who allowed him to, to basically waltz his way through and yeah, the finish was okay, but he shouldn't be getting in that position. Somebody should be putting a tackle in and, and it, it shouldn't be that easy for a team who is down there scrapping. It's the same with the Delafeo goal. If you give somebody that much space, they're going to have a t- touch and probably be able to score from that angle. I think that 
Lursal may be a little bit disappointed with, yeah. with with the way that that one went in, but I, I think that when you look at the amount of chances that Watford created and, and how haphazard Huddersfield were at the back, it's difficult to really argue with the scoreline. And I know that Huddersfield had chances in this game, but they were all pot shots from yeah. sort of 25 yards that Ben Foster dealt well with. And on another day, one of those flies in, but if that's the way that you're creating your chances, then it's kind of like you're, you're, I don't know, grasping at, grasping at thin air. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can't rely on having 30 yard efforts and you know just having no one in the box and you, you get in there and you kind of forced to have a shot yourself you know Huddersfield have not won since April uh, I know we've had a, a pre-season in there but a, a home game against Leaky Fulham next is is massive I, I fear it's absolutely massive for, for both sides of course but Huddersfield they ha- this has to be the one that gets them going again because if they can't score against Fulham and no disrespect to Fulham but they are leaking goals like no other club has done in the Premier League uh, in, in the history of the Premier League. So yeah. Huddersfield have to take those opportunities, and this could be a huge three points for them. Equally, if they get nothing out of the game, then you have to look at what's next for Huddersfield because if they can't win that or at least get a positive result out of it, then it's a, it's a massive worry. Of course, it's a worry, and you look at the start that Huddersfield made to the season last year. It was it was very good. I think they were probably mid table at this point. They'd won yeah. games, they were scoring goals, and and ultimately that was what kept them up in the long run. It was it was their start to the season, and they are now bottom of the league after Newcastle's performance on Saturday, and and psychologically it, it just adds another element to it I think when you've got teams below you it, it kind of gives you the confidence that you are better than other teams in the Premier League and psychologically we'll see how they deal with this because they probably haven't had to do it yet in their time in there so it's it's really tough from a Huddersfield point of view but I don't think that you could ask for like you say a better fixture than Fulham at home to try and get over it how long do Huddersfield wait in terms of the manager because I I, I, I wholeheartedly think he should be staying there but is is there a period of time where they think do you know what it, it's continuing like this and nothing's really changing do we do we make changes or as we've said earlier on in the season actually do they just almost consolidate look at the fact that there's a strong possibility they're going to go down and he builds them up again from there i think that david ragnar's responsible for the extra 25% that huddersfield players gave yep. last season i think that without that they would have gone down quite easily i think you take him out of that club and the fabric that's been built up over the last couple of seasons will just sort of fall by the wayside and that will probably be curtains for them okay no that's fair enough and and like i say i agree i think he's the certainly the man to lead them forward at the moment and it's going to be a tough long old season for Huddersfield, i fear but they've shown resolve once i'm sure they can show it again and that is all for part one join us after this short break where we are taking our weekly trip to the championship rolling for body onside jamie body Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast and 
as I said, we are taking that trip to the Championship, and it's a busy week. We've had two games for each side taking place, and also a new manager in the mix. Ipswich Town remained rock bottom after losing against Leeds in the week, which saw Paul Hurst relieved of his duties. And then the new manager watched from the stands as they lost against fellow strugglers Millwall. That new manager being Paul Lambert. It's a bit of a strange one, really, isn't it? It's a very strange one. Obviously went to Norwich earlier in his career, their, their rivals, um, and has had mixed fortune since, really. But who do you get in the championship when you're at that level? You know, there's the Premier League managerial merry-go-round with the usual candidates on there. But are they willing to drop down, A, into the championship, or B, as far down as Ipswich? Possibly not, and I think right. that's the problem, isn't it? When you've got a club like Ipswich who've been in the Championship for longer than anyone else, yep. and a chairman in Marcus Evans who's been there a long time as well, not prepared to spend a huge amount of money, it's difficult to attract big names, and sometimes the grass isn't always greener. You look at what Mick McCarthy did, he was somebody who you could always sort of trust to keep the team up, yep. and, and within that they didn't necessarily play the best football, but he would get results, and you kind of have to choose one or the other you either go for results or you go for exciting football which could lead to relegation absolutely and as i said ipswich remain at the bottom of the league but that's stark contrast to their neighbours norwich who have moved up to fourth following wins over villa and brentford and they're playing some of the best football i've seen in the championship this season and, and the last couple to be honest and they've got a young hungry and fearless squad they've, they've the, the football that was on show against villa last week was uh seconds and on and, and you know we performed relatively well but we we looked comfortably beaten in the end and you know i mentioned villa there they do look to be struggling still um the defeat in norwich was frustrating having taken the lead the defeat at qpr on friday was was a shocker really i've not seen many more dominant performances from a team that loses one nil um qpr looked like they won the cup which said it all really i think they were fairly happy with their efforts for the night and to their credit QPR have gone under the radar after a, a, a woeful start to the season they're unbeaten in the last five and that's all you need in this league to get yourself up the table and one of the things that worried me was a player came off the bench and he was drinking a can of Red Bull is that <laughs> is that a thing is that still happening I think Jamie Vardy's probably set the precedent for this one isn't he I think he's he's a big fan of Red Bull but I, I don't necessarily Imagine that you should need that as a professional footballer. But You've probably got enough energy to, to go out there and do the job. Every club at that level has some sort of nutritionalist. Yeah. And at what point do they say, yeah, go on then, crack on, take your can of Red Bull onto <laughs> the was bench. It? Was it Balassi? No, it was one of their players. Oh, it, I can't was remember who it was. Players, I was yeah. I was absolutely shocked and stunned to see what was going on. But, <laughs> um, you know, Villa, to their credit, have shown enough for me to be positive over the last few games, I think. It's going to take time to adapt to what Dean Smith wants to do. And, you know, these games will come thick and fast. There's winnable games at home against Bolton, Forest, Stoke, and, and then a derby against Birmingham as well that um, I, I'm, I'm quite looking forward to, it's fair to say. But there's away games as well against Sheffield United, Derby and West Brom. So it, it is going to be a very, very tough few months leading up to Christmas. And I think if we're certainly mid-table around that time, we could be challenging for the playoffs again. But... Speaking of Derby and West Brom, uh, Derby won 4-1 at the Hawthorns last week and that was followed up with a one-all draw at, at Middlesbrough. No thanks to a terrible last-minute own goal from Bogle. Did you see this one? I did indeed, yeah. They were both own goals in that game, yes, weren't they? they were. I think one was right at the start, one was right at the end. I think the middle, Middlesbrough fans enjoyed that goal and yes. um, George Friend's own goal wasn't a, wasn't a great one either. So I think a brilliant week for Derby though. Frank Lampard's come in for a, for a bit of criticism early on in his managerial career but he steered the ship quite well and, and obviously Derby find themselves up there and you wouldn't 
be too surprised if they're still there come the end of the season. Absolutely not. And he's also returning to Stamford Bridge, isn't he, in the Cup this week. So that'll be very interesting to watch. But back to the Championship, down at the bottom as well as Ipswich. Redden and Bolton lost both games to keep them down there. Along with them, you expect to see the aforementioned Birmingham in there. But <laughs> they're absolutely storming it at the minute, worryingly. They've actually only lost two games all season, drawn eight. But the draws have been converted into wins. They've, la- they've won the last four. And they're up to ninth, and there's no real signs of them slowing down, which is very, very annoying. Well, we're going to Aston Villa, Birmingham in a few weeks, aren't we? And um, I suppose we may get a bit of a less one-sided game this season, because the last two seasons have been uh, all Villa, haven't they? Yeah, there could be a very miserable, miserable Monday podcast after that (laughs) one, but we shall wait and see. But that is all for the Championship this week. Join us after the break, where we get to the rest of the Premier League. Welcome back to the Sweeper Podcast and it's time to round up the Premier League starting at Selhurst Park where Crystal Palace scored their first goals of the season at home to get a 2 all draw with Arsenal. A little bit of controversy in this one, wasn't there? There was indeed, yeah. It was a pretty open game, I think, and you would argue that both sides probably had chances that I suppose Palace may have been two or three up at half-time. I, I, yeah. they, I don't know what it is with Arsenal. I don't know why they don't seem to be very good in the first half and then come out in the second half and, and seem to bulldoze teams. But they just didn't seem to be able to cope with Palace's pace and and whether that was a hangover from Thursday night's game where they performed well at Sporting Lisbon or whether it was just the fact that they didn't expect Palace to come out like that it's it's hard to say but the fact that Palace haven't scored at home all season you wouldn't necessarily have thought they would have been as good as they were in that first 45 minutes no I think you're right and I think the thing is with Crystal Palace they at times have looked to to threaten throughout this season so far and there's just you know we we talked about Huddersfield earlier it's a slightly different story because they do create chances but they genuinely have no one on the end of them most of the times and I think with them it was no surprise to see that Milivojevic scored the first goal of the season from the penalty spot there and you know it's it's a shame for Crystal Palace because they have built up a, a fairly solid defence over the last few years and it's not necessarily shown this season so I think the odd 1-0 win here and there is probably crucial for them but the opportunities that they had in this game particularly in that first half was a, a disappointment for them you would have thought to be two or three up at half time it could have been a completely different game and you know we talk about Arsenal I think the difficulty with them potentially is they change the team most weeks and that's not through choice all the time you know they had someone like Granite Jacker at left back yesterday and they Crystal Palace obviously took advantage of that or tried to I think they got Zahara over to the right hand side quite a lot and just had the opportunity to run at them and I think you know Palace would have been disappointed but they would have even even more disappointed at the way they've conceded the two goals as well yeah I think you you look at the free kick from Jacker and yes it's a great free kick but it's a bad foul to give away in the yeah. first place and then I don't necessarily think that the keeper's got his angles right A with the wall or B with his positioning to 
see the ball going where it went in, you would have expected him to have been able to cover that side of the goal and get something to it. And that's not taking anything away from the strike because, believe me, it's one of the best that we'll probably ever see in the Premier League yep. from a dead ball situation. It was quite similar to that Ronaldo won against Portsmouth all those years back where he just sort of hit it and it just seemed to pick up pace the further it got. And um, they've got a weapon in, in, in those areas and you don't necessarily expect it from Arsenal either. It's something that you expect them to probably keep the ball on the deck, play it short, try and get, get down the side. And I think they missed Hector Bellerin in the second half of this game. He's somebody who's performed very well this season. He's been consistent and a lot's gone through him. They've got him in behind and, and that was part of the problem. In having Lickstein on one side and Xhaka the other, it, it just kind of slowed the, the, the game down for Arsenal in that second half. Yeah, absolutely. But some of the football they've been playing recently, and you look back at that game against Leicester on, on Monday and... That was just that was as good as Arsenal have played for the last few years. I think you know that you look at Bamiang and Lacazette who both started together in this game. They generally do impress when playing together. But and I was having this conversation with a, an Arsenal supportive friend the other day. You would think if you're going to play them both, the home games against the likes of Leicester or a home game against Crystal Palace would be ideal to do that. To go away to Crystal Palace, I'm not sure that's necessarily the right approach. I think that is where you potentially have one of them on the bench, and I think potentially that's where the inconsistencies come from in the first half. It's wedded to a, a type of football and a, and a former system where they try and get the ball on the floor and, on the floor and play football. You've got someone like Meza Oswell who was incredible on Monday almost anonymous at times yesterday and I think that's that's the issue for them and to then take the lead through the fortuitous circumstances that they did do yesterday was lucky for them and you know actually if they'd have ended up winning that game as a result of that and as a result of a fairly abject performance overall it, it would have been quite unfair for Crystal Palace. Yeah I want to go back really briefly to your last point and the the thing that seemed to have worked for Arsenal in recent weeks is Lacazette's generally started games and then Aubameyang's come off the bench and, and they've kept both of them on together um, but Aubameyang's pace just seems to stretch it you get to the sort of 60 minute mark where defences are beginning to tire and it's at that point where Arsenal can counter attack so fluidly and I think that's what you lose by, by bringing Welbeck on it didn't have the same impact in this game and, and I think the fact that Aubameyang's top goal scorer in the Premier League at the moment, I don't think anyone would have seen that coming, given the, the lack of starts that he's had. But he's such a streaky player that he, he comes off the bench, as he did on Monday night against Leicester, and scored two goals in that one. And I, I just wonder why Emery thought it was a good idea to, to change things, like you say. Because if things are going well and you've won 11 games on the bounce, would it not make sense to stick with the personnel and system? Or maybe it's because they've been changing it that they've won those, those those many games in a row. Absolutely, and I think there will be... Th there is a level of consistency with Arsenal this season, which you you find it struggle to pick holes in. So, you know, they're doing a good job, and I think they will be disappointed not to get more from this game, but equally I think they've got to be happy with the points. And as we say, we have to look at the goal, because it's a handball. Yes. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a handball. 100%. Um, and it, it's disappointing that it's not been spotted, but that's the way it goes that's football but equally there's a little bit of controversy with Wilfred Zaha potentially diving I don't think it's a penalty I think that um, Xhaka's obviously not overly experienced at defending in those areas and he's been drawn in and done by Zaha but I think that if you had VAR in that game then it wouldn't have been given I think that it, it it's difficult to say it's a dive but I think he's probably 
anticipated contact and yep. gone down and 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 that's where you have this real gray area that if if it was pulled back then i don't necessarily think he deserves a booking but if you're going to stop the game and var is going to intervene at this sort of point that that's where you're going to start to have problems and, and because I, th- I, th- I think that's sorry I, I think that's the point with zahar as well i, I do think he you know he gets called up pulled up for diving quite a lot but i'm not sure he does dive at all or, or certainly not very often out of the ones where he gets pulled up for it i just think he he changes direction so yeah, quickly exactly. and i think when you've got that that much pace and you and and the weight of your body is shifting so quickly i think it's difficult sometimes to to stay on your feet and you have to take that into account as well you look at somebody like Lionel Messi and his low center of gravity helps him for somebody like Zahar he's so tall yeah. for an attacking player that it, it can be hard to, to to stay on your feet like we say so it, it's such a hard one we, we we talk about it a lot and I think at this moment in time you probably can't definitively make a call on it I think there'll be some weeks where it'll look like a dive there'll be others where it'll look like a, a, a bad challenge and this was one where it was kind of a bit of both I can tell you now if I was playing against him I'd be giving three penalties a week away I might not touch him <laughs> but I'd be going for it every single time uh, moving on to uh, Crystal Palace rivals Brighton uh, a 1-0 win against Wolves and Talk about Wolves first, another defeat for them. Are the wheels coming off? It's funny because you and I made separate notes on this game and I've got (laughs) the exact same question to ask you. I was going to ask you whether the wheels were coming off. Two games in which they've played quite well against Watford and against Brighton and two games where they've come away with nothing. And the difficulty from Nuno's point of view is that the consistency that he's shown in picking the same players every week has, has kind of repaid him in the in the results that they've had but does he then stick with them while they're losing games or or does he start to change things and we t- we talked about Jukanovic and Fulham earlier and, and the lack of a settled side that they've got and, and Wolves has been the complete opposite but you would argue in this game that Wolves deserved the win Brighton yeah. had one or two clear-cut chances and I think Matt Ryan was probably man of the match you you look at the saves that he's made particularly from Ryan Bennett and Matt Do- Doherty and in those situations, you would expect players to score, but it just so happens that those two are both defenders. And I think if those chances had fallen to any of the attacking players, then Wolves probably would have got something out of this game. And that that's what will be disappointing from Nuno's point of view, is that they, they did so well against the, the teams that you'd probably expect them to struggle against. And then they've come up against sides who haven't been in great form. I know that Brighton have won the last two, but I'm talking more about Watford last Saturday. And, and you would have expected Wolves to turn them over at home. But... They just need to stick together, really. If if they continue to create the chances that they have done so far, then they'll be absolutely fine. And I would still expect them to finish top 10. It may not be the season that a lot of people predicted in terms of them breaking into the top six or seven. But I think if you offered any Wolves fan or player 10th or above at the start of the season, they would have snapped your hand off. Yeah, absolutely. Just one of those days. More possession, more chances. And they did make the first change of the season uh, from the start. And they brought Triorian who is, it's fair to say, a completely different uh, proposition and different dimension to the team that he brings. So, uh, it you know, it's good to see him change it up, but that's a, a kind of drastic change as well, really, isn't it? I think the the problem that you have with somebody like Traore is he makes such an impact when he comes on, but generally that's late in games. And we talked earlier about when players tire bringing Aubameyang on because he's got so much pace. And Traore's the same. He's he's another option, and he's he's kind of been an option to try and put teams on the back foot when they've been coming forward against Wolves and I don't necessarily think he works from the start I, I think that he just doesn't have enough about him to to sustain that level of performance for 90 minutes especially against a defender who's going to be fresh from the start and probably yeah. be able to deal with him in that sort of manner so it's a tough one and and 
it's 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 a player who is probably not going to have the greatest career unless he goes and plays somewhere where it's quite a slow tempo league and, and two yeah <laughs> and the premier league just doesn't have that and yeah. that's that that's the problem if he wants to be a starter in games it may be that he needs to go somewhere like italy because at the moment i just think that the premier league will only suit him in the last 20 25 minutes of games and and despite arguably being second best brighton have impressed in recent games three consecutive wins all one nil and um you know again you say ryan the two cent halves duffy and dunk all impress and They've worked so hard. Hewton even admits that Wolves have better players on the ball, but he praised his team's work ethic, effort, and, and that's absolutely crucial. You know, it's a real belief in the players he has and the system they use. And, you know, the, the, the theme of this, this episode really is about that system. And they are fairly wedded to the way they play, and they're more than happy to be second best if they get results. And they've got someone like Glenn Murray who only needs one chance a game, and he will score. And I thought it was a fantastic finish from him on Saturday as well. It was. He's been very good this season, and I think that he's somebody who, who will work so hard from the front for you. And, and Brighton are just willing to do that. I don't think there are many better teams in the Premier League at protecting a lead. And it's such a skill now in modern-day football because goal scoring can be difficult and especially when you're down there and, and you've kind of got to hold on to everything that you can do yep. I think Brighton have got about 14 points so far and you look at that the amount of games that they've won by one goal margins or, or, or games where they've got back into them at the last minute and Brighton are a team who, who just don't give up and they kind of remind me a little bit of what where Huddersfield were last season they're yep. not necessarily technically gifted in, in, in that many departments but they're, they're triers and they'll continue to get points under Hewton because they, they just don't give up and there are teams down there who've got better players who could learn a lot from the way that they've coped with the the Premier League since they've come up. Let's move on to Southampton. Southampton nil Newcastle nil. Unsurprisingly a nil-nil and uh, you would say probably a more positive result for Newcastle to come away with the point. Southampton had chances and I think they'll be incredibly incredibly disappointed to only get a point uh, and, and just to not score as well, not to make the most of those chances and there will be frustration with Mark Hughes no doubt. I don't know whether it's all Mark Hughes or the players and I think the difficulty is you argue that on another day Southampton possibly win two or three. Yeah, I think that it's it's hard to not blame Mark Hughes because ultimately he's the manager of the club and the book kind of stops with him. Now, you can't sack the players and um, as much as I'd <laughs> love only, to, yeah, yeah, you can't do that. So a change is going to have to come at some point and I think that the manager has to be the person to go. It's not just this performance that, that that's warranted talk of that. It's the whole season and the fact is, yes, we've created chances, but we haven't scored them and if you're not getting the points on the board, regardless of how those goals come, somebody is going to get the chop and, and, and the most likely person, if it's not somebody in the board, is going to be the manager. So I think let's have a quick chat about Newcastle first, then we'll get on to Southampton. I think that Newcastle came for one thing and, and that was a point. I don't think they were ever going to trouble Southampton with the way that they approached the game. I think they had four shots the whole game. None of those were on target and they went there to try and contain. And that was the difficulty for Mark Hughes. Rafael Benitez set Newcastle up defensively and, Hughes had to try and break them down, but the, the, the issue that Southampton have is they don't have anybody to do that. They tried to play a system with pace, with Elanusi on one side, with Redmond on the other, and they went with Charlie Austin up front with Danny Ings again, which didn't work against Bournemouth. Yep. And unfortunately, it didn't work against Newcastle, but I'm just not convinced that that's the way to play. I think that you need to introduce somebody who can play in between the lines a little bit more and who's willing to put their foot on the ball and actually 
have a touch, wait for somebody to get into space. And I, I think that Southampton probably missed Pierre-Emile Hoiberg in this game. He's been very good so far this season and he, he offers a little bit more stability in the middle. I think Romeo and Lamina will break up the play and they will get rid of the ball quickly. Whereas Hoiberg's willing to hold on to it a little bit longer and try and bring players into play a little bit more. So I think from a Southampton point of view, it's unsurprising. It's, it's one of those games that you'll probably look back on at the end of the season and, and that will be the reason to find ourselves in the bottom five teams. I don't think that we're going to get any further up the table. And already you look at the table and I think it's probably safe to do that at this point because we're 10 yep. games in. We talk about it a lot. It's kind of been split into three already. You've got your top six um, and Bournemouth who are in there at the moment, but it's likely that they're going to drop out. You've then got a second half, which I think goes down from about eighth place down to about 12th. Um, and I think the lowest team down there has got about 13 points. And then you've got from West Ham down six or seven teams who are likely going to be in the shake-up come the end of the season. And I don't think that any of the teams above where Leicester City are are going to get dragged into it. I think that everybody else will be fighting relegation come the end of the season. And the the Premier League last season was a two-tier division. You had the top seven and then you had 13 teams yep. who could have gone down. This season, it's not like that. It looks like, I say, to be thirds and, and Southampton are well and truly in that bottom third and they won't go anywhere above that it will just be a case of trying to keep their head above water I do think the positive is that I suspect Newcastle will finish below Southampton this season I've, I've said it before and um, I, I don't think they've got enough quality in the squad I don't think that they look like causing any real danger to anybody and having had a conversation with uh, a Newcastle supporting friend at the weekend he, he pretty much mirrored what we say every week. It is like Groundhog Day. He can't really look past the criticisms that we've already had. They've lost the two strikers that they had, and that was their own choice, really. Yeah. Um, the the club are a cash cow for the owner, and he takes everything out of it and always will do. If they go down, does he sell? Possibly not, because he's not going to make as much money. If they stay up, is he going to sell? Possibly not, because he can potentially still make more money. And it is just like Groundhog Day every single week, every month, and, and probably every season for the foreseeable. And I, I think perhaps it does take them to go back down and not get back up at the first um, at the first attempt, because that's exactly what happened to them. And he will look at that, Ashley, and think, yeah, we'll just do it again. Yeah, and one positive point from a Southampton point of view is that we're um, away at Manchester City on Sunday. <laughs> that'll be uh, that'll be a quiet one, won't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Um, we've got one more game to talk about, and obviously we need to talk about it because it did take place this weekend, and um, it kind of pales into insignificance yep. given what we talked about at the start of the show. But Leicester did play West Ham, and it was a one-all draw, and. Um, it was a game that kind of struggled to get going for a while, didn't it? I think that Claude Puel decided to make changes in this one. I think there were four changes from the defeat at Arsenal on Monday, and the most high-profile of those was Jamie Vardy. Yes, it was, and you know, actually, you look at West Ham and think, what would they least like to come up against? And it's probably a pacey striker who plays on the shoulder. Yeah. So y you wonder whether there's more to it. I know Jamie Vardy left the pitch early against Arsenal. I've not seen or, or heard anything to, to the contrary to suggest there is. Well, he came out on Instagram earlier in the week and, and declared himself fit for the game. And, and that basically put the ball in Claude Puel's court, yeah. which kind of makes you think that something probably did happen off the pitch. Because if not, why would you tell the rest of the, the, the world that you were available for the game? And it's a bit of a strange decision. And Vardy's probably the highest profile name at Leicester now, given the departures that they've had in Mahrez yeah. and Kante. So he probably feels like he's well within his rights to do that, given the, the stature that he's held in 
at the club. And he, he did come off the bench after half-time, and this was when Leicester were 1-0 down. Fabian Balbrina scored the opener for West Ham, and Mark Noble was shown a straight red shortly after, which was a, a very poor challenge. Um, he's got it in the locker, Noble. I think he has one of them every season, for sure. Um, and then from half-time, it looked like Leicester would get back into it, and, and they made the most of the running, still struggled to create many clear-cut chances, and a couple of set-pieces hit the woodwork, but just not going in, and it took a very, very fortunate last-minute equaliser from Wilfred Ndidi, who I'm not sure has ever had a shot. Um, <laughs> it was a very rare shot, and it took a, a huge deflection for it to beat Fabianski. And I think you'd have probably called that as a draw at the, at the start of the game, to be honest. And I think you know the, the game reflected exactly what you'd expect. Yeah, and before we move on, I just want to say something about Michael Oliver in this game, because we will definitely have a go at referees when they get things wrong and I think that he was absolutely on the spot for pretty much every decision in this one his positioning was brilliant he kept up with play which can be difficult at Premier League level and he took all of the decisions on his shoulders rather than relying on people or possibly decisions that he wasn't 100% sure about so I think it's great to see that he's one of our best referees and long may that continue in the Premier League because as much as VAR is probably going to come in at some stage you would like to hope that the referees still made the majority of those decisions indeed well there is one more game this evening it's a big one Monday night it is probably the game of the weekend as well and we're, we're unfortunate to be able to to do this before then but Spurs versus Manchester City at Wembley and I think this was possibly going to be the first game at the new stadium uh, yeah. certainly one of the first games and it is at Wembley on a Monday night um, which I don't think it's gone down very well um, and I'm sure Manchester City will be looking to uh, get some revenge over Spurs for that and uh, pave the way for their fans to be able to celebrate after the the, the nightmare scenario that they've been putting in terms of travel but it should be a great game uh, there should be some good football on show I think uh, Spurs have generally fared alright in these types of games over the last few years and Manchester City are capable of beating absolutely anybody what is your prediction though? I'm I'm <laughs> I was going to say I'm on the fence on this one, but I don't think it is an on-the-fence prediction. I'm going to go for 2-2. I think there will be goals. I think that both sides will go toe-to-toe with one another. And I'm backing Harry Kane in this one to actually kind of start his season a little bit because he has struggled. And, yeah, um, yeah I think I think we'll, we'll, we'll see him score a brace tonight. After predicting the Arsenal Leicester score exactly right last week, your second bang on Monday night yeah, football prediction go of the for, season. I'm going to go for a third out of maybe four Monday night footballs so far this season, and I will go for Manchester City to win two one. Okay, goal scorers. Uh, I will go with Aguero to score two. Okay, well, and, and I do think Harry Kane um, is is due a goal, and I think a, a big game like this is a perfect opportunity for him. Yeah, to he did it against off. Barcelona, didn't he? Yes. So um, there's 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 nothing to say that he won't be able to do it against Tottenham. There's one last thing to do, and um, I'm going to hand over to you for that. Yes, get in touch with us on Twitter at the Sweep Pod, Instagram, and Facebook, search the Sweep Podcast, and email us at the Sweeper Podcast at gmail dot com. And whilst we're on correspondence, you can get us on iTunes. Subscribe, rate and review. Five star ratings and lovely reviews would be much appreciated. And you can get us elsewhere on Spotify, SoundCloud, Anchor, Audio Boom or basically anywhere you get your podcasts. Absolutely right. That's pretty much it for this week. Thank you to those of you who've been in touch. Uh, we will probably get to more correspondence next week we didn't think that it was really worth doing this week given the circumstances but thank you for listening it's been a difficult week and we look forward to speaking to you at the end of next weekend thank you very much goodbye